You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Someone once said, an obedient Christian is a good citizen. They keep the law of the land and respect others. They pay their bills on time and don't evade income tax. They don't run red lights and they maintain the speed limit. But typically, the last thing to get saved on a Christian is their right foot. Oh, come on now. That was a funny joke. That was a funny joke. Seriously. Work with me here. First service didn't get it either. Over their heads. All right. How many of us struggle with speeding? Like we, be honest. All right. Yeah, I'm one of them. I'll raise my hand. My children, backseat drivers, the worst all the time. They're like, Daddy, that speed limit says 45 and you are going 55. I know. Hush. Just, I got to get somewhere really quick. I got to get there, right? The point is for us to start thinking about this word, obedience. Maybe when you hear that word, you cringe just a little bit because it reminds you that you are not in charge. It says someone else has control and somebody else is calling the shots. And most people don't like being told what to do. That can unsettle us. And it often reveals our selfish, prideful, power-hungry nature. What I want us to understand today is that obedience isn't bad. In fact, there are many benefits of obedience. To obey simply means to submit to the authority of another. That's the basic definition. So if you want to jot that down in your outlines, feel free. To obey means to submit to the authority of another. In life, there are usually five areas that require our obedience. One is a child to our parents. Another is a student to its teachers. Another is an employee to his or her employer. We should also be obedient to government laws, and yes, that includes the speed limit. And most importantly, we should be obedient to God. And that's what I want us to spend some time talking about today. All month long, we've been discussing the Great Commission, which Jesus shared in Matthew 28. That command to all of us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is our purpose. It is our mission. It is our goal in life. But we are not doing the work alone. Not only do we have brothers and sisters in Christ, both here and abroad all over the world, who are committed to this mission, we also have the Spirit of God Himself living inside of us, His Holy Spirit that is spurring us on and encouraging us and leading us to fulfill this mission. We've learned in the last three weeks what God can do in you, how He can work through you, and how He is working for you even in the valleys of life. And as we wrap up this series today, I want you to understand that, yes, while God is working in you, through you, and for you, the whole reason why we're trying to fulfill this great commission is for him. It is for him. We exist for God's glory, not our own. We point people to Jesus for God's glory, not our own. We work and serve and share and speak and give and love and tell and teach others about Jesus for God's glory, not our own. Something very foundational that we must understand is it's not about me. In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them it's not about you. Go ahead. All right, look to another person tell them it's not about you. That's good. We need a healthy reminder of that often. 
In his new book titled Letters to the Church, Francis Chan shares this thought about us having the amazing privilege to be part of God's church and living a life that isn't about us but is instead for him. Here's what he says. What is a tremendous, unspeakable honor may feel insufficient for those who are used to being God of their own blogs and Twitter accounts. It feels insignificant to those who have erected their own shrines on Facebook and Instagram filled with beautiful pictures of themselves. Herein lies the danger of clamoring for attention. We don't realize that true joy comes from the opposite. Joy comes as we stand among those Jesus has redeemed and get lost in a sea of worship, becoming fully a part of something sacred. Gathering with the church, big C, should lead us to holy ground. You get to come and worship someone else with someone else. You get to pour out love to him by serving those around you and considering them more important than yourself. It is not about you, and you are glad it's not about you because this is something far greater than you. It is sacred. The lives we get to live are not about us. They are fully for him, for God. Even right now, we are planning our first campus for God's glory, not our own. And this has been a dream of Northside's leadership from the very beginning. It is out of obedience to God's calling in our lives that next Sunday we officially launch Northside Medina. And I don't know about you, but man, I am so excited to see what God is going to do there, to see all the new things he's going to do with all the effort that we have put into and all the time and the energy and the resources that we have sent to Medina and the people we've sent to Medina. I know God is going to do some really big things. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, why did we really need to go do that? Why did we go to Medina? Here's why. We've said it before, and I just want to reiterate this. 48% of the residents that live in Medina have said, I have no church home. I am non-religious. They've checked that box in a survey. I do not have a church home. Let me quantify that for you. 48% of Medina residents, that is over 84,000 people who do not have a relationship with Jesus, that it is our job to go and share Jesus with them. They are living within 10 miles of this very spot. So that is why we're going to Medina. And listen, as that campus preaches and teaches and reaches people for Jesus, we will continue to do the very same thing here because we are one church, two locations. We are in it together and we will be obedient to God and fulfill this great commission to make disciples who make disciples. Now you may be thinking, well, Eric, what does obedience have to do with this whole for him subject? Here's the connection. We cannot live our lives for him until we learn to obey him. We cannot live our lives for him unless we learn to obey him. And that's really the big theme, the big idea for today. We will never be able to fulfill the Great Commission until we learn to obey God. And I'll be the first to tell you this is not an easy task. It's something that we consistently need to be reminded of because our internal nature tends to please who? ourselves. We tend to please ourselves. We want to do what we want to do, what feels right to us in the moment. A lot of times we want to take the easy path, which is usually the selfish path. But as believers in Jesus, 
That's not our calling. Our calling is obedience. So what I want to share with you today is a story that Jesus told about obedience and then give you three benefits to obeying God. You ready? All right. You ready? All right, let's do it. Here we go. If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Or you can use your Bible apps on your phones. It will also be on the screen. Here Jesus tells a parable or a story to a crowd of people. And in this crowd were many of the Jewish religious leaders. These people hated Jesus. They tried everything they could to trick him with his word so that they could arrest him and ultimately crucify him, which is what they did. But Jesus knew their hearts, and he wanted to say something to get them to repent from their way of living. Here's what he says, Matthew 21. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, speaking the Pharisees, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. The religious leaders and teachers of the law, they're like which son in this story? The first or the second? The second. They're like the second. They say yes, but in reality, they don't follow through. They don't go into the vineyard to work. They do not obey Jesus' teachings. They're great at giving lip service. And in case you didn't know, God hates lip service. He hates when we say one thing and don't complete it. He hates when we say one thing but yet do the exact opposite. So Jesus publicly rebukes the Pharisees, these phony leaders. The second son in the parable, when his father tells him to go into the vineyard and work, he replies very politely. He says, I will, sir. Yes, sir, dad, I I will go do that. But he didn't do it. And a lesson for us is that courtesy is not a substitute for commitments. Courtesy is not a substitute for commitment. Basically, Jesus tells them, and he's telling us today, I'd rather you tell me no and change your mind than tell me yes and not follow through. And that's the phrase used to describe the first son. Those three words, changed his mind. In the Greek, it is one word. It's the word metamelomai. Say that with me because it's fun to say. Metamelomai. Metamelomai. That simply means to repent changed his mind to repent. In fact, it's a military phrase, which means an about face, and you probably know this. If you're marching in one direction and your superior officer says, about face, what do you have to do? Stop, turn on a dime, and you walk 180 degrees in the opposite direction. That is the picture that this word paints, metamelomai, repent. And that is what Jesus wanted for the Pharisees. It is what he wants for you and I today. He wants us to have a change of heart, which leads to a change in actions, which is portrayed in our obedience. Obedience, not just with words, but in our lifestyle. So let me share with you three benefits that take place when we obey God. First of all is this, Obedience strengthens your witness 
for God, your witness, your story, your testimony about how God has worked in your life. Obedience strengthens that. The more we transform our minds and hearts to the will of God through obedience to him, the more appealing our witness becomes to the lost. Faithful obedience is like a magnet. It draws people closer to you as you make disciples that make disciples. Or put another way, when we practice what we preach, there are countless people we can reach. When we practice what we preach, there are countless people we can reach. So let me ask you, how strong is your Jesus magnet? How many people are you reaching through your faithful obedience? Or, just like a magnet, which can pull something to it, but it also repels, are you rejecting people, are you repelling people because of your hypocrisy? Because your words and your lifestyle do not meet up. James, the brother of Jesus, he gives us this challenge in James chapter 1. Here's what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Friends, this is our mirror. We should be looking intently into this every day. And if we find that something in our life, something in our actions do not meet up with what is written in this book, then adjustments need to be made. And as I've said before, there's no perfect people. We all have flaws, but we need to study this and look at it and strive to live in obedience to what God says. Remember, we're not in this alone. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer, spurring us on, encouraging us, leading us down the right path. We have to listen to him. We have to be obedient to what he tells us. Now, if obedience strengthens your witness for Christ, what does disobedience do? Shout it out. Weakens it. Yeah, disobedience weakens your witness for God. Sin is disobedience. And the result of sin is that it separates us from God and it ruins our witness for him. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 6. Here's what he says. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer how much? What's he say? Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So how are you doing at that? Are we obeying God in every part of our lives or just sometimes? Allow me to illustrate it this way. One of my all-time favorite drinks, probably my favorite drink, is sweet tea. And nothing is better than Chick-fil-A sweet tea. They sell Christian chicken and Christian tea. And so I support them till the day I die. Right? I love Chick-fil-A sweet tea. This is the real deal. You won't taste anything better than this. You know, I love it. But you know what I also love? Yoo-hoo. Any Yoo-hoo fans? Any Yoo-hoo fans? I had two first servers. I got like three this service. Okay. I have drank Yoo-hoo since I was a kid, and it's phenomenal. But you know what? 
it's not real chocolate milk. And I don't care. It's okay. I know that it's water mixed with some powder that you got to shake up. Even on the label, it says chocolate drink. All right, it's a drink. It's not even chocolate milk. But I don't care. I love it anyway. Listen to this. Oh, that's so good. So good. All right. We love, so this is, this is my tie-in here. We love Jesus, the real deal. But we also love the things of this world, the imitations that Satan throws our way. We love God, but we enjoy sin. So maybe you wake up one morning, and you're, hopefully every morning you do this. You wake up, you talk to God, you say, Lord, I love you. Today I am going to live for you. Today I'm going to start reading your word. And you open up, you spend 10 minutes of devotion time before you go to work or school. That's awesome. Go Jesus. We love Jesus. But you get to school, you get to work, you start having conversations with your peers. And those conversations, there's a lot of foul language that's taking place. And you think, okay. It's all right. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's cussing. Everybody's swearing. Let me just imitate what everybody else is doing. So at work and at school, you cuss like a sailor too. You feel guilty about that, right? So when you get home, you repent. Lord, I'm sorry I had a bad day today, right? You repent. You want to try to make it right. You have a devotion with your family at supper table. You uh, tuck your kids into bed. You're praying over them. That's good. But once they go to bed, what do you do? You get in an argument with your spouse and you tell him or her just how wrong and terrible they are. We keep going back and forth. Sunday mornings, you're here, you're smiling, you're happy. Go Jesus. (laughs) But the other six days a week, it's not go Jesus. And we go back and forth between the two, right? Obedience, disobedience. God, Satan, good things, evil things. And this is what we struggle with. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6. But you know what? Maybe there's not a lot of sin that you give into. Maybe, maybe it's just one thing that keeps tripping you up. Mm. Ah. Okay. (laughs) Even, even that one thing dilutes your witness for God. Even that one thing weakens your witness for him. The more we bounce back and forth between God and this world, between obedience and disobedience, our credibility as a Christian slips. And this should not be. Jesus said either be hot or cold because if we are lukewarm, what will he do? He will vomit us out of his mouth. This is pretty much vomit right here. This is what that is. That is not how we should be living. All right, a second benefit to obedience is this. Obedience demonstrates your trust in God. There's a great example of this in the New Testament. Jesus is out in the Sea of Galilee, and here's what he says in Luke chapter 5. We read that he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little further from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught 
anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I want you guys to read that last sentence out loud. But because you say so, Simon is a fisherman by trade. This is what he has grown up doing. This is what he's done, spent his entire life mastering. What was Jesus' occupation for the first 30 years? He was a carpenter. Yes, he was a carpenter. So this carpenter is now telling a seasoned veteran fisherman how to fish better. That's ridiculous. That's like me, a preacher, going up to Baker Mayfield and telling him how to be a better quarterback. I don't have the slightest idea. I only played flag football. I've never even played tackle. I don't know anything about being a quarterback. Understand that this request from Jesus to cast out the nets one more time, to do it on the other side of the boat, this would have made absolutely no sense to Peter. Even still, he responds by saying, but because you say so. When he obeyed, they caught so many fish that the nets began to break. Trust was demonstrated through Peter's obedience. But because you say so. That's a very powerful phrase. It's a phrase of submission. If I'm being completely honest with you, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when God asks me to do something that internally I do not want to do. Typically, my first response is to try to justify all the reasons why I shouldn't do that one thing. I'm going to give you an example. When I'm driving out and about town and get to a stoplight, I see someone on the side with a cardboard sign that says, homeless, please help, lost job, need money, veteran, please help. When I see anybody with a cardboard sign, my first response is not always, but because you say so. I will argue with God. I'll try to justify it. Lord, I already paid my tithe. Lord, I'm late for my next meeting. I don't have time to talk to him. Lord, I don't have any cash in my wallet. I got nothing to give. And it's interesting. God, God's timing is perfect. So he knew that I wrote this as an example to share with you today. And wouldn't you know it, last night I go to Walmart to pick up, Walmart to pick up my Yoohoo, and when I'm leaving Walmart, on the side at the intersection is a young man about my age holding up a cardboard sign that says, homeless, please help. And he's got this mangy old dog laying right beside of him. And I was like, Lord, you're testing me right now. You are testing me. So I, I couldn't be a hypocrite. I had no excuses to give. I wasn't in a rush. I have already paid my tithe, but that's okay. And I actually had $5 in my wallet that I never have. I never carry cash. I've said that before. But I had five bucks in there. So I pull up to him. I roll down the window. I hand him the $5, and I give him this ARC card which we have a ton of them in the lobby. I encourage you to keep some in your wallet or your purse. I try to keep two on me at all times. Just for situations like this, it's an act of random kindness where we can just do something kind for them. And I said, hey, if you're not doing anything tomorrow, I'd love for you to come to worship at Northside today. And he said, well, what time is it and where? And so I told him, and he said, well, I'll try to be there. I have not seen him yet. Maybe he's in here right now. I don't know. But at least I did my job and I obeyed what the Spirit was telling me to do. But I don't do that all the time. I don't do that all the time. Thankfully, Peter didn't ask why. He didn't try to justify the situation. He simply obeyed. And each one of us has the same choice every single day. 
Obedience demonstrates trust in God, but the flip side is this. Disobedience demonstrates trust in yourself. Trust in yourself. And I think part of the reason why we have a hard time obeying God is because His ways can seem irrational and unreasonable. But when we trust Excuse me, when we trust and obey, we learn that God really does know what's best. Here's some examples. A Christian's command to love seems irrational in the world's eyes. We think that love is a feeling. It's an emotion. But Paul wrote, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. That's why in marriage, love is not a passive feeling that you give up on. It is a choice to forgive, a choice to sacrifice, a choice to fight to keep the marriage together. And to the world, this is completely irrational. Because there's seven and a half billion people, you can just leave that person and go get someone else. That's what the world would tell you to do. God doesn't say that. A Christian's view about their job is also irrational. Maybe you dread work. You go in every day and you're grumpy and you're upset because everybody's mean and none of them are Jesus followers, but you stay there because it pays well and it has good benefits. Let me encourage you with this, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. You are not working for any person, you are working for him, for God. And if you do everything without complaining and arguing, who knows what God could do through your faithful obedience. You might be able to lead someone you work with to Christ. Also, a Christian's view of money seems irrational. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That doesn't make a lick of sense, does it, y'all? It's blessed to give, more blessed to give than to receive. Most people spend their entire lives accumulating all they can for themselves and not giving it away. And I love Rich's point during the communion meditation. That's a hallelujah. That's a praise to God. It looks ridiculous to the world when we give to God what is his. But it's something we should do because it's all for him. So here's what I want you to understand. God desires our obedience even when it doesn't seem rational. Even when it makes no sense, he wants us to obey because when we do, it proves our trust in him. On the screen are copies, and I'm just going to kind of read through these, copies of a covenant that Northside Medina is signing this morning. They are making a collective effort to commit to standards that do not seem rational to this world, but instead display their obedience to God. And those commitments, first of all, is a commitment to consistency. We commit to consistently participate in small groups and attend worship. A second one is a commitment to serve. They know that each one of them has been given a gift, and we want to serve to the best of our ability. A commitment to be a disciple who makes disciples. That's what this whole series has been about, fulfilling the Great Commission. A commitment to unity, one church, two locations. We are unified as a body of believers. A commitment to our mission. We agree with the mission of Northside that says, love God, serve others, win one, and we will live daily for that. 
And then what we just talked about, a commitment to give, to be intentionally generous with what God has blessed us with so that we can tell people about Jesus. Here's why I'm sharing that with you today. They're signing it right now. But in four or five weeks, Robin is going to stand up here and he's going to ask every one of us at the Wadsworth campus to sign that same form. Because all of us together should be united in committing to Christ these areas. So you're going to be seeing these through email and uh, it'll be in your programs in a couple weeks just so you can pray over it, so you can think about taking this up another level and making it your faith serious uh, with God and with Northside. So I wanted to share that with you. Pray for them as they're getting started, but also pray for yourself as well. The last benefit of obedience is this, point number three. Obedience shows your love for God. Love is not just worship. It's not just singing or praying or reading the Bible. It's not just service. I believe that all of those are great, but they're actually all byproducts of something bigger. They are byproducts of our obedience. Consider John's words in 1 John chapter 2. We know that we have uh, come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Have you ever thought about what God's love language is? It's obedience. Scripture tells us it's obedience. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So obedience is God's love language. And if obedience shows love for him, then disobedience breaks God's heart. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel rebuked King Saul for his disobedience. Saul was king over Israel for 20 years, and we read a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15 at the end of his reign of what takes place. You see, God directed Saul to attack the Amalekites because they were a perverse people, and he said, destroy everything, destroy everyone. Saul had victory over them. The Israelites had victory, but Saul didn't obey fully. He actually saved the king, King Agag, and paraded him around and then kept all the best cattle and the sheep for their own selves that he said was going to be a sacrifice to God. The prophet Samuel rebuked Saul by this. He said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed to listen is better than the fat of rams. So as we wrap up today, I want you just to ask yourself a few questions. Are you obeying everything God has commanded you through his word? Are you fully devoted to him? Are you putting him first daily? Does your talk match your walk? Or are you a part-time listener, which in turn makes you a part-time lover of God which makes you a hypocrite. You see, Samuel informed Saul of something I've heard many times before. Partial obedience is disobedience. And that is not what we are called to. We are called to fully obey God. Francis Chan says that obedience often grates against our natural desires, but if we obey only when it feels natural, then Jesus is not truly Lord of our lives. I don't know where you are this morning in your relationship with Christ. 
but I want to challenge you. If you have never repented, if you've never repented and obeyed and put your trust in Jesus, you're going to be given that opportunity in a moment. Or maybe you're already a believer and you're struggling with something. You're drinking a lot of that yoo-hoo. You know you need to put it down and you need help with that. I want to talk to you. I want to pray for you. So we're going to sing a song right now. We've not done it before here, but it's a song that I love. I heard it a few months ago and the lyrics match perfectly with this message. So I just want to challenge you to sit and to listen to the lyrics. And when you feel comfortable, you can sing along as well. And then Rich will lead us in a time of invitation. So watch these lyrics and sing along as you're ready.